The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice-building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential-focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative-focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed, using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Welcome to the Creative Psychotherapist. I'm super excited for my next guest today. Um, We've had the great fortune of being able to collaborate and work together on presentations related to private practice. And that's actually how we met several years ago. And I'm really happy that she uh, has graciously given up her time to be here today. Her name is Emery Hurst Mickle, and she is an ATRBC, an LCAT, and an LCPAT, which I'm going to ask you to share what that is as we move along. Yes. yes. (laughs) Another (laughs) license in another state. (laughs) Okay. And she's the founder and director of Water and Stone, a creative arts therapy PLLC. Water and Stone currently has 13 art therapists or creative arts therapists seeing individual clients and facilitating groups. She also offers regular LCAT continuing education workshops, both in person and online, which you'll have to share a little bit more about that. I know you've been doing a conference. And her company grew out of her experiences living and working in the Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, Long Island, Brooklyn, and Manhattan. And to help other therapists interested in similar work, she authored a book, which we're going to be talking about today, called The Art of Business, A Guide for Creative Arts Therapists which focuses on contracting and business basics. She's currently working on a second book focused on private practice and starting a company. Her therapeutic work supports adults dealing with anxiety, grief, loss, fertility issues, and women who want to find and use their voices more effectively in the world. Along with these pursuits, she mentors other therapists, supervises interns, guest lectures at George Washington University, and is an adjunct faculty member at Nazareth College. She received her master's in transpersonal counseling psychology with a focus in art therapy from Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. So welcome, Emery. Thank you so much. Thank you, Raina. I'm really excited to do this. This is fun. I'm excited too. <laughs> it's always so weird to hear my bio like read and actually hear all the pieces. It makes me feel very busy, but also really fortunate to be doing all of this. I know. It's such a, it, it is. It's just a weird thing when people are like, wow, you're doing so much. And you go, am I? I don't know. <laughs> yes, exactly. But it's just like a little bit at a time, you know, it all comes together. Yeah, and it grows one thing on top of the other, and it, it makes sense as it happens. Right. So I know there's a there's a couple of things that I wanted to um, touch on from your uh, bio, and one is your in-person continuing ed trainings. How um, how are those going? And and 
am I imagining things or are you doing something like an annual conference? Mm -hmm. yes. Um, so yes, when New York really got into the continuing ed for their licensed creative arts therapists, I quickly made Water and Stone a provider. And so we run in-person things in Manhattan and Brooklyn, and then also online live, hopefully soon online self-paced as well. But what sort of came out of that was the realization that I could create a conference, which I have to say happened in a moment when I was actually down with the flu and my brain had time to think, which as we know, as creative entrepreneurial people can create interesting projects. So I decided it made a lot of sense. This was when there weren't any conferences sort of in the June time. And I thought, let's try this. And yeah, we're about to, this year we'll have, let's see, in 2020, we'll have our fourth, I believe our fourth conference. Um, and it create it brings together music therapists, art therapists, drama, dance movement. Um, we've had poetry, writing, and then other professionals who use creative arts therapy or collaborate with creative arts therapists. And it's this amazing way we have both in person and also online during that um, amazing way to bring people together and see what everyone's been doing and I think we've had people come as far from California to present and to attend I had someone from Canada I think last year who came down for it so we're starting to get people coming from all over sharing just incredible wisdom and interests and projects and it's it's really it's an amazing thing to hold the space for something like that. And the cool thing yeah. is we have this incredible location. It's actually at um, one of our offices, but we rent from this lovely preschool on the Lower East Side in Manhattan, but they give us the building for basically the entire day. So we have multiple classrooms. They have a dance studio, an art studio. So it's just this enriching, amazing place to be creative and have fun together and create community. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Uh, it's no small feat to be able to organize, maintain, facilitate, and coordinate all of that on top of all the other stuff that you're doing, everything that in the behind the scenes of running a conference, um, people probably, unless you've done it, you have you know, no you idea. Would, <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. It's, that could be a full-time job in itself. It really can. And it's something where I've learned where to ask for help, when to ask for help, what pieces I can hand off to others to do, which is so important in every aspect of what we do. Absolutely. It gives others the opportunity to develop and learn the skills too. So definitely. That's yeah, great. I have um, young art therapists or creative arts therapists actually volunteer to help out with workshops so they can take some for free. So they're sort of the person in that workshop who's assisting and then can just be there and experience it. So I found some really neat ways so that hopefully I can support others through that. That's wonderful. Excellent. Yeah. And so let's dive into yes. your book. Um, the book was published in 2013. So it's been out for quite a while. Um, let's just start by kind of the origin story. Where did this, the idea for the book kind of surface and bubble up and, you know, why? <laughs> Good big questions. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this was, it was one of those things where it took several years of people saying you should write a book to actually realize it was probably something that made sense. Um, so after I graduated, a lot of states didn't have licenses yet for creative arts therapists. So it was at this point where I could actually move back to the DC area from Colorado and start working right away as an art therapist, which is not something that happens a lot nowadays. 
and I had a horrible job right out of school, which we all usually do. It just, it Mm -hmm. wasn't a good fit. It was exhausting. It didn't really feel that great, but I had an amazing ATR supervisor, Carol Thayer Cox, who is just an incredible person. (laughs) Um, And she was such an amazing mentor and sort of guide for me because when this job was really not going well, she fully supported me saying, okay, that's not what I need to be doing. And the idea of traveling around to retirement homes to offer groups to places that can't afford a full-time art therapist and can't have someone there all the time, but really want to bring that to independent living, assisted living, their Alzheimer's dementia units, just made me go, I really want to do that. The whole reason I became an art therapist was because when my grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, I went to visit her with art supplies. And it was Mm -hmm. one of those amazing things where I saw the impact it had, not only on her, but on everyone in the room. I mean, people would just like come to our table and we would all make art. So it sort of was that through line (laughs) that got me to this point where I'm like, I really want to keep working with that population. I want to find a way to do it where the places where they live and are sort of, Mm -hmm. some of them are literally not able to leave, where they can actually have me in on a regular basis. And I just, I developed this whole contracting idea and had to figure out how to contract with a facility, what that meant. Um, The first place I worked asked me for an invoice and I went, oh, sure, of course. And then went home and went, what's, how do I do an invoice? Like, what does that even look like? (laughs) So it was a lot of trial and error, but it was an incredible learning process. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, through that, like Carol was great because she was supporting, well, how are you doing this? And asked amazing questions and really helped me mold that. But then I also was doing so much just through trying it. And how do I market something like that? And sending out letters and hearing nothing back. And then sending out more letters and eventually getting like a phone call, completely underselling myself at the first place that hired me and not making even close to enough money. And it became this incredible thing that existed even within the first three to six months and then Carol says you should connect with George Washington University and have interns and I'm thinking interns (laughs) (laughs) what does that even mean but luckily um, Lisa Garlock at George Washington University again super supportive person who was like yes let's do this let's figure this out so we figured out how I as a at that point traveling art therapist could have interns set great boundaries teach them about the business side while also really making sure they had an amazing experience running groups and knowing people and just created this world that I don't think I could have even imagined when it started. Wow. And I honestly think having the interns Mm -hmm. is what led to the book being possible because I was talking so much and answering so many questions and writing so many things down that the sort of the knowledge that I was gaining just happened to be recorded and filled out. And so as friends are like, how are you doing this? What are you doing? (laughs) What does this even mean contracting? Um, I really started pulling it all together. So it really started with this idea of my job is horrible. I want to do something different. And then just letting it bloom layer by layer into what it became, which was this incredible 20 different facilities a month, weekly sessions for most of them, um, incredible contacts and ability to give back to the community and having interns just travel around with me as we figured out what this was. 
And That's so yeah, it made, yeah, it made a lot of sense when friends started saying, tell us how you do it to actually put it all together. The reason it really became a book is because I started going through a divorce a couple of years later and needed a focus. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to write the actual book. So with every spare moment, I wrote the book. And it really gave me a focus, gave me a purpose, and it all came together faster than I think I could have really realized. Wow, that's amazing. And it sounds like with the interns, there was, you know, when you're thinking about putting out a product, you, you know, you want to validate that there's a need for it. And they were kind of like your market research of like asking all the questions Definitely. of like organizing what the sections would be. And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I have a lovely chapter on ethics because we had to talk about that constantly. And they each have a blurb in the book about their experience as interns. And they got to have some input into like the internship um, chapter I did. So it was really great to also be able to offer that back to them that they could be a part of that in some way. Yeah, I found that section of the book particularly helpful for me um, when I was first starting to take on student interns at my practice. And I had never Wonderful. done that before. And I was like, I don't know. I, I mean, I knew like I needed to have a system and I need to have a structure and I, you know, needed to have a plan that kind of led from, you know, basics, introductions, observing then to the actual work of facilitation. But I found that that section of the book was a really wonderful support and guide, um, you know, many years ago when I was first <laughs> starting that process and had never done it before. Um, oh, wonderful. That's good to hear because I usually hear about the marketing chapter. <laughs> People are like, I had no idea how to market. But it's it's neat to hear about the other pieces that I thought were just something we don't usually have access to in terms of a guide or even suggestions on what can you do. I was always hoping that that would help people out. So it's awesome to hear that it helped you. Yeah, well, sure. You know, because I think when you're in private practice, there you're working with significant limitations in comparison to what you can provide an intern if they were working in an agency setting, right? Definitely. Like if they're working in a behavioral health hospital, they're constantly having in-services and lunch and learns. And, you know, yes. you have your, your case team staffing, and then you have your individual supervision and your group supervision. And they're getting this really rich, immersive experience in private practice. It they might just you. be you and the interns. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So like, how do you, how do you create something that is going to be helpful, meaningful in their growth and development as a clinician? Yes, um, it's definitely. It's really important. It is. And to realize that first you are enough, <laughs> that's an important one. You are enough and you will do it well, as long as you're paying attention. And also that it's such a different, unique experience that you need to just the preparation, I think, is exhausting for many people because until you have an intern, you don't realize how much work it really can take. I yes. mean, it's constant and it's it's its own part-time job on top of everything you're already doing. But yes. it's also just so incredible to see that person grow. And if you have that structure to support that, you can really see over the six months to a year, that person coming out of their shell, finding new ways to be 
themselves as a therapist and what that looks like. It, it can be incredible, but it really does help to have a structure so that you aren't just like winging it every single week and hoping for the best. Right. I agree. One of the things that um, I have learned that I really need and, and what's helpful in that process is having a um, having one or two other people that supervise um, to yes. provide consultation for me. You know, it's like a supervision of supervision consultation um, for me to be able to work out what those dynamic issues that are coming up within the supervisory relationship mm -hmm. um, because supervising a graduate student intern is very, very different than providing supervision for somebody who's pursuing their license, yes. already has their a little bit of clinical chops, they, they have had those experiences, um, and the work is so different. Definitely. You know? So having that additional support has been really helpful for me. Yeah, and I think we talk a lot in private practice about how it can be very isolating and lonely and alone and how important it is to form community just to support ourselves and know we have someone to touch base with or talk through cases with or whatever that is. And I think when having interns, it's especially important to have that connection with others who are supervising, like you just said, because it creates that support system for you. And things come up when you have interns that you never could have guessed, that you never could have anticipated. And the questions they ask are wonderful, and half the time we have no answers. <laughs> so it's really great to have mm -hmm. other people to talk it through with to really get to, well, okay, they ask this question not just about like the clients they're working with, but also about the way I'm running my practice, basically. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I, and it's something I haven't thought through in great detail before because I'm just doing it as me. So what is the way to voice this to someone who may not need to know all the ins and outs, but it would be really helpful to give them some basis and information. And I, I found bouncing ideas off of people was, I, it was so wonderful that I had Carol is an ATR supervisor and other people I was connected to, to be able to call and say, the intern just asked me this and I don't know what I'm, what to say. <laughs> um, For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, support is ideal <laughs> and very important. And also it gives the intern a better experience too. Yeah. Yeah. So thinking about how the book is structured, you mentioned a few things already, that there's a section on ethics, there's a section on marketing, there's a section on interns. What else in there? So if somebody were to pick up the book, purchase it, what can they expect um, to, to gain from it? I mean, really what I tried to do was sort of think through what my process was, where were the pieces that really helped me, and what did I not know that I had to really learn through trial and error, or just realized I had learned afterwards. So I really tried to lead people through creating that foundation for what are you trying to do, who are you trying to see, and how do you want to structure this, and what is contract work, because this book really focuses on how do you contract with agencies and how do you contract with organizations or people so that you can go mm -hmm. to their space. Um, so really, I wanted the book to be what I wished I'd had, <laughs> where here's how you set up a base and foundation, here are the things you need to think about, here are the questions you need to answer, and then how do you put the word out there, what are the ethical things you need to think about. So. 
my hope was this would lead people through that process. Um, mm -hmm. So if someone picks it up, I really hope that one, they, of course, jump around to sections where you're like, I know nothing about marketing. I need to know that right now. But also that for those who want that sort of through line, that this is really that journey that leads you from, I think I want to do this. What does that mean? To here's how you do it. Here's how you reach people. And here's how you make it not only supportive, but lucrative and sustainable. Sustainable. Oh, yes. Big it, word. If it's not, if it's not um, financially sound, it's not sustainable. Exactly. Right. And um, that means profit. That doesn't mean breaking even. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that word we all sort of edge away from because we want to help people, which we do. But sustainable means you're making a profit. You're able to actually not only survive in the world, but know you will be okay and you will be okay for a long term. <laughs> so, yeah. That's right. Be able to ride the ebbs and flows of um, business shifts, right? Yes. You never know. You might have a contract for several years and then that agency decides they're going in a different direction and you lose the contract. Exactly. Um, or it might be grant funded contract and oh, that's the term of the grant. We, we weren't able to get additional funding. And so yep. now you need to be, you know, figuring out, okay, what's the next thing? And oftentimes, at least in my experience, they don't necessarily tell you in advance oh, no. that that's going to happen. It's just like suddenly, well, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, it was lovely having you. We won't need you next week. <laughs> so nice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, yeah. that happens more often than not. And I always, and I always, I feel better when the person feels bad about that, but it's still, it's usually not, we won't need you three months from now, which would be a great amount of time to find a replacement job or something like that. I had one place where I showed up one week after having been there a couple months and they're like, oh, we have a new activity director and she doesn't think, I don't think she's expecting you. And I'm like, okay, what just happened? <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, we had to really, and that was before I had a better contract for what I was actually like putting out there, but they can do that very easily. And oh, yeah. it's, it happens all the time. So Yes, making sure that you have prepared for those ups and downs. And I feel like every time we talk, we sort of go over, what are your ups and downs currently? <laughs> because <laughs> they happen constantly, no matter how established you are. But knowing that you have the way to be okay when you lose a couple clients, a couple jobs, and then you can bring more in, it really matters and makes a difference with your mental health as well, just as the person having to do all of this. I totally agree a hundred percent. And I, I think for me, when I was originally thinking about going into private practice, I really was just thinking about doing those contracted groups. Cause that's kind of part, part of just what happened naturally for me. Um, and then the individual piece, right? So having the contracted groups and serving individuals. But then over time, I, I realized, okay, you know, I think I need more diversity in what I'm doing and how can I continue to diversify what I'm providing and offering to help with that balance financially, 
but also not kind of burning myself out on just doing all the same thing all the time. Yes. No, and I completely agree. I think diversifying what you're doing keeps things fresh, means you aren't relying on one specific kind of income. It it just, and I feel like both of us have found amazing ways to do that where we go in like 10 directions at once, which may not be for everyone. That's (laughs) true. (laughs) But I do think that diversifying can be as simple as contracting, seeing a few individuals, running some supervision groups. Like you were saying, it doesn't have to be in 10 directions. Um, For me, that's actually partly why Water and Stone started to exist was because I had all these different directions and realized it would make a lot of sense to pull them under one umbrella so that it didn't feel like I was going many places. It just felt like like I had many options within what I had created. Mm -hmm. And that's also when you can start either thinking about bringing in other people or things like that. But yeah, the diversifying what you're doing can support both that sustainability, the avoid burnout piece that is so important, especially when you're really starting to do this on your own. Yes. And also just creates that, it, it keeps the creative juices flowing and it keeps your mind flexible and open and it lets you see opportunities you may not have otherwise. I love that. I love that. Yes. The opportunities that you did not even dream would be happening when yep. <laughs> you start down this road of entrepreneurship where you're like, this is what I'm going to do. Like I remember leaving the group practice that I was at and telling my clients and I had this one client and he was a young, young boy and he was like having such a tough time of it. And um, with the saying goodbye and his mom was like, it's okay. You know, this is what people do. She really just wants to lead to be an entrepreneur. And I was like, huh, I don't <laughs> think that that's what I wanted to do. I, I mean, I just, I, I, I want to right. be able to practice on my own terms and really focus in on the arts uh, mm-hmm. part of things. And, but at that time it hadn't really crystallized that I was right. really, it was really about being an entrepreneur and that, that did not happen until I was doing this on my own, fully on my own for a yes. couple of years before I realized like, wow, you know, I was actually an entrepreneur all along. I just really didn't understand that. Yes. And I think you have to grow into that word. <laughs> I, think it's, I mean, that's not what we go and going, I will be entrepreneurial today. Here I go. That's not where you start. <laughs> you start going, how do I get one client? Like that's, that's where right. it is. And then, okay, well, I'm not an entrepreneur till I get like to X, Y, and Z. It's just something I think we put off because the word is scary and it comes mm-hmm. with a lot of fears and risk and uncertainty and unknown. And all of that can be really daunting. <laughs> and I think as, and that's, I mean, so I do a lot of mentoring for people going into private practice. And the first thing I say is don't freak out. It's going to be fine. Private practice is whatever you make it. There is not a subscribed way to do this. You don't need to have an office if you don't want it. You can have an office if you feel better with that. Great. But to really take some of the, to demystify some of these words like entrepreneur, because it does it, it can be, it can freak you out. (laughs) That is partly what happens. And then to realize that that is what you're doing just by creating something that's never existed before that makes you an entrepreneur because you are the one doing it. You are creating it and you're building something that is amazing. Yes. Yes to all of it. 
<laughs> but yeah, I do feel bad when people first start because it is, it's, it's a scary thing. It is, you know, cause you're, th- at least for me, I was thinking, well, you know, this is just, I, I want to be able to practice. Mm-hmm. That was, that was what it was about for me. I really wanted to be able to practice and I wanted to be able to practice in the way that I wanted to do things and, um, and really bring it back to the arts and um, I mean, I don't always use art in my work with clients because some clients don't want to, and that's totally fine too. Yeah. Um, but I, that was what it was about. It was like, I wanted to have that control over the practicing part. And I wasn't even thinking about mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to, you know, create these businesses and, right. you know, do all these different things. But it just not it was like a natural progression like you're saying like once you start you realize oh wow okay that was intimidating that was challenging now i have figured out a system and a structure that really helps me automate the process now i feel more confident now what yes. that's opened up space for me now what can i do what else what else am i thinking about what other opportunities do i want to create within the practice and offerings and then it just yeah, it really just kind of um, flows from there. And then you create things like a wonderful conference. (laughs) Right. And it just keeps flowing. Well, no, and I think that's as for people starting, you look at like you or I who now have companies and people working with us or for us. And it looks so big and like, wow, they created that. Well, I did not plan on creating Water and Stone when I started. And I'm sure you did not see exactly where you are now when you started. That's no where you start. <laughs> Not at all. I thought it was just going to be me and me alone. Right. That was exactly. It. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you go from this thought of I can do this and I'm, I'm getting my clients and I'm doing the work I love and I'm giving back in the way I want to, to, hmm, what's next? Like you were saying, and you let those layers just build. And I think for people who are open to it, they can build into incredible things. I mean, yeah. I love my company and I, I, I now have um, a couple clients that I still see who I think all of which I've seen for more than like a year and a half now. So they're sort of here and their clients who check in mm-hmm. usually monthly, occasionally yeah. more. But then my focus is really running my company, doing the continuing ed, mentoring people, meeting up with people who are curious about what I do, and just creating community amongst the therapists that I know and therapists who are here or even further away at this point. And yeah, doing something like the conference and going, I can actually focus my energy on that. I don't have to focus it everywhere else. I can go, okay, I know for these months, I'm focused on the conference. Yeah. And I really love how you like the phrase that you use creating community. Um, Because when you're practicing and you're, you're, you have a full schedule of individuals and groups, it's very challenging to create that community. But once you start scaling back and sharing that with the other therapists and they're picking up a caseload, that opens up the opportunity to create community and, and expand and, and reach. And I love that part of the work too. Yes. Um, so much. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like it brings a new energy to what I do on every level. Just knowing yeah. that that's something I can offer that hopefully others can benefit from that it impacts not just the layer of like clients and people looking for therapy, but then the layer of those offering therapy and just, I I really enjoy having that multifaceted 
way of supporting others. And yeah. in a way that I feel I'm not having to sacrifice income. I'm not having to sacrifice the other pieces of what I want water and stone to be doing or the therapists who are with me to be doing, but instead those can support each other just in yeah. remarkable ways. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. So if there was one thing, like one piece of advice or two pieces of advice that you were to give a budding therapist who's just kind of fresh and considering this idea of like, okay, I think I'm going to go out and try to garner these contracts. What would be like some advice of where they, um, just something that you know that they probably need that that they don't mm -hmm. have? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing, and I really believe this, some people look at me a bit askance when I say it, but please go fail. Please go completely mm. mess things up. <laughs> please do not be afraid to not get it right, to really do something and look back on it and go, oh no, I should not do it that way again. And I mean, understand, and a part of that is trusting yourself that that is not going to be harmful to yourself or others. That's not going to be you crossing some horrible line. That's not going to happen because you're already an aware, competent human being and professional in many ways. <laughs> so you're going to have some things that stop you from crossing lines you shouldn't. So within that, to really let yourself be free to use trial and error. Know that the first few times you do something, it probably is not going to go as smoothly as you hoped. That's <laughs> um, right. Even the 10th time you do something, it might not go as smoothly as you hoped. Yeah. And that that's perfectly okay. And the people who really succeed at launching their own thing or going out there on their own or creating something are those who, it, it might get you down for a little bit, but that's okay because then you pick yourself up and go, okay, what well, I can learn from this definitely. But also I just learned a really important thing that I can now use moving forward to create other things and I can build yeah. upon that. I really suggest, and this is true for people who are still students, please mess up. <laughs> please ask questions. Don't try to get it right. right. Try to figure out who you are as a professional, what you enjoy about situations, don't like about situations, and let that exploration be okay. I feel like a lot of us try to be not even perfect, but just right and okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we lose a lot of the curiosity. And so for me, yeah. it's remaining curious, being open to exploring, and expecting to mess up on a regular basis, and letting that actually be fine. Yeah, I think, you know, when I hear you describe all of it, it immediately, for me, comes the idea of growth mindset, and yes. how to shift from, a, you know, a limited mindset, a scarcity mindset, into that of having a growth mindset, because that's really what it is about this opportunity to look at everything that you're doing as an opportunity to grow and learn, not um, to shut you down and like go into a shame spiral about, Oh my gosh, I tried that. and It didn't work or I lost money there. That's going to happen. Yes. Um, but that's part of how we learn like, Hey, that doesn't work. I need to do something else different. But if we're stuck on that other side, we might try to repeat that same pattern and hope for a different outcome. 
but mm -hmm. that's not going to happen. And I think that mirrors what we try to do with clients too, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, we constantly are telling clients that whatever they feel was horrible, bad, didn't do well is okay. And that they're learning from that and that they're growing in these different ways. And we very have a very hard time putting that back on ourselves yes. <laughs> and reflecting that back <laughs> on ourselves. And I think another key piece to all of that is I actually just had someone ask me this the other day when we were on the phone and I was, she's forming her private practice is doing an excellent job of it. And she said, okay, so Emery, when does the fear go away? And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> Never. <laughs> exactly. Never. That's exactly what I said. I'm like, it doesn't. She's like, wait, what? I'm going, no. <laughs> I said, it just comes up in different ways. Right. And you learn to deal with it differently. I said, but no. I said, I still have the fear. It is still there. Fear of not knowing how something will go or turn out or not knowing what's going to happen or, oh my goodness, I just lost like three things I was counting on for income over the next few months. What do I do? That fear doesn't ever leave, <laughs> no. but you do build a better relationship with it. And yeah. I think that that's also a piece of going from that scarcity mindset to this idea of curiosity and growing and exploring is you go, oh, I'm freaked out about something. Okay, what's happening? What's going on? Am I hitting like an old pattern here where I need to take a breath and step in a new direction? Or is this telling me, look at that, <laughs> you need to focus on this a little more. So really letting that fear guide you in a way that helps <laughs> and is actually yeah. supportive. And I think that's what changes is that relationship to the fear, to the uncertainty and to all those things that used to stop us in our tracks for a little bit and make us go, oh my goodness, can I do this? You know, I've read and, and heard a number of people talk about this idea in entrepreneurship that if we're not, a, if we're not feeling that fear just a little bit when we're doing something, then we haven't actually set the goal high enough. We yes. need to have that bit of fear to keep us moving forward. Because if we get too comfortable, we get complacent, and then we get stale, and things, that energy starts to fizzle out. There's something necessary about the fear being there. Yeah, I always, so one thing that I tell people, because I run into people a lot who aren't sure how to use their degree, or that they like shifted to this from a completely different career, and they feel like it negates everything that came before, that they're now doing something, which is not right. No. <laughs> You're wrong. But what I like to tell them is, you know, every single thing you've done up to this point informs who you are and what you're doing now. And that's great. And the way I explain it is actually through fear. The way I really, I feel like I've always had a somewhat healthy relationship with fear, but I used to work on a high-flying trapeze, like the one where you're up in the air flying through the air. <laughs> And I taught kids at a summer camp for several summers in a row how to do this. And one day I will tell you sort of how I got to that point because that's an interesting one. But what I realized is, and one thing that we taught the people who were doing this, especially the older ones, the little six-year-olds, they run up the ladder and jump into the air without like safety lines. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> as you get older and fear is a big piece of things. What you say is the fear is actually there for a reason. It's there to keep you safe. Mm -hmm. But safety doesn't mean you aren't going to do something you're scared of. It just means it's saying, oh, hold on. <laughs> Make sure you don't let go and pay attention to what's happening right now. It doesn't stop you from climbing the ladder up to fly through the air. 
Instead, it keeps you alert and keeps you focused on what do I need to do now to take the next step forward. And I think that that piece around fear, it's keeping you from falling off a cliff, but it's not stopping you from hang gliding. <laughs> so it's sort of that idea that the fear is there for a reason. We should never lose it. It actually shows us where that edge is and helps us know how to keep walking forward from there. I love the reframe mm -hmm. and, and the example of the flying trapeze, which yes, I do need to hear the story of yes. how you ended up doing that, which is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And, and like it, that is a place where fear for most people, I think, would come up. Yes. Um, a lot of people are like, what? I would never do that. I mean, there are some people, obviously, that like that's their right. thing. They love bungee <laughs> jumping and jumping out of airplanes, things like that. Um, but for a lot of people, that definitely would be, whoa, I'm, I wouldn't do that as an adult. Right. right? Why <laughs> would I climb 20 feet in the air and then jump off a small platform? This makes no sense. Yes. Right. Yeah, it stops a lot of people. And yeah, and you have to go, mm -hmm. okay, why? And what right. do you need to do to take one step towards it? And I, and I think that mirrors the, the, the piece of going into private practice too. Why would I leave that job where I have, where I have the um, perception of job security with the 401k plan, maybe in maybe. mental health, maybe, I mean, cause I don't know about your experience, reality, but my parents, <laughs> like with those jobs, it was like really not so great, but there is that perception there that you have that retirement savings, you have the insurance partially, mostly paid for, um, and the steady paycheck, right? And so why would I leave that to jump off over here into the abyss of the yes. unknown of, can I afford my own health insurance? Can I still save for retirement? can I garner enough clientele to pay the bills of the business and, you know, my exactly. home life? Uh, it, it is a big risk, but if it's well-planned with intention, mm -hmm. which is, which I think is what you were getting at, right? Like we don't ignore the fear. We notice right. the fear and then we plan to make sure that we have that safety net as we jump. Yeah, off. and I think we don't, and I think a huge part of it is sometimes that safety net is trust, <laughs> which is hard for many people. And I think that there are many things we can plan around and set some, a foundation that we can then walk from, which in terms of marketing or finances and the concrete things like that, you can plan first and it's okay to plan first and it makes sense too. And then there's some things where like, if it's this big new possible project and you can only go in with so much, can you trust that something will come out of this? And right. that that trust is you having thought through it a bit and going, this is worth the risk of not knowing what's going to happen and letting that be sort of your safety net in terms of knowing you can do this and that you will be okay. And what does that mean in this situation? Because right. I think, yeah, I've, and a lot of, also the piece around private practice can be anything you want it to is also, I think, key because people think in order for it to happen, it has to be this full big blown thing and they don't know how to plan for that. Well, yeah. then don't do that. <laughs> um, yeah. And instead, especially like here in New York City, 
it's really easy to have one client on one evening after work. So mm -hmm. start there. That's yeah. how you start your plan. I'm going to try this with one person, one hour a week and build up slowly if that fits for you. I know people who just quit their full-time job and jump into it. I did that. <laughs> I don't suggest <laughs> it. <laughs> and I say, don't do that. But if you have planned and it makes sense for you and you know that that is what you want to do, okay, then you do it. Right. So it's finding also that way that fits for you without stopping the fear and instead letting that guide you into what is my path and what is my journey through this. Right. Yeah. And, and I love that. I love that it can be whatever you want it to be. Um, last year, I went to kind of a, a talk, a book talk. Um, there's a uh, school counselor professor at the local college here who wrote a book. It's called School Counselor Side Hustle. And, um, and he, it was like a book signing and he talked all about the book. And and that was really what it was about. Like you can be a counselor or therapist and you can still create um, these other things that, that tie back into giving back, taking care of others, you know, whatever it is that, that aligns your heart to the work that you're doing that can start to bring you in additional income that doesn't necessarily take a lot of your time um, some of the things that he was talking about were like developing small pieces of curriculum, therapeutic yeah. curriculum, and selling them on that website, Teachers Pay Teachers. Nice. And he was talking about people making like $50,000 a year <laughs> doing that. Like there's yeah. so many ways that we can um, go into a private practice where we're still sharing that therapeutic value using our skill set. Um, yeah in a way that adds additional value in our lives, a little bit more money to take mm -hmm. care of ourselves and our families and, um, and still connects with, you know, our, our heart. Cause I think that's the hard part, right? It's like, Oh, maybe I should be doing this over here because it's, it might be more financially stable for me, but that takes me out of the realm of being a therapist. Cause over the years, if you've been doing this long enough, you start to see people who you're like, oh, what happened? And they right. leave. Mm -hmm. Why are they leaving the profession? Mm -hmm. um, well, because they weren't able to, you know, figure out a way to make it work. Right. And yeah, a lot of people burn out, get exhausted, and they're like, I need to stop. <laughs> I yeah. need to go over there and do that. And that's fine. But I think that and that goes back to like the idea of diversifying what you're doing how you're doing it and being open to all the possibilities for what that looks like and also knowing your own limits you may not want to be doing 10 different things cool don't do that that's fine but how do you add that variety and the the possibilities knowing which ones are going to take more energy, take more mm -hmm. time, um, which ones do you need support and help with versus the ones you can just sort of go out and do on your own. I mean, I think, and I, I understand why now people say it takes five years to know if a business is going to make it because year four is really going to get you. <laughs> um, as a business owner, it really was one of those things where I was the first year it's like okay everything's new we're seeing what's happening and this is specifically with my company it was a little different with contracting 
but that first year is new. The second year was like, okay, I'm getting it now. This is feeling better. And it was like the third year I'm going, okay, I think I'm actually, I think I actually have a business. Like this is actually Mm -hmm. happening and still going. And then the fourth year doing so much on my own, having so many pieces still happening and realizing I was running out of time and energy to do all these things was quite an awakening to, I need more help and I need to delegate more, and I need to change the structure I am doing this with in order to survive as a human and also to avoid burning out. And I know I burnt out some that fourth year, and it took until really this past summer. We're going to turn um, five in a couple months. So it took until this past summer to start putting all those pieces in place and going, okay, what can I do to help myself so I can keep moving forward? And it took creativity. It took taking breaks. Mm -hmm. It took rebalancing my life in terms of spending X amount of time working on specific things and then stopping, which is really hard when you're an entrepreneur and doing this yourself. And also figuring out those new places people could come in and do things for me and how I had to be okay giving up some control in those areas, but that that would help everything and make the bigger picture healthier again so that yeah. the company could then move forward. And it really, it has shifted in such amazing ways over the past months that it's, it's incredible and it's revived everything that I want to have happen. But it really, it, it takes a lot to be able to do that and to find those ways to keep moving forward. I, you know, I, <laughs> what you just said, made so many connections for me (laughs) last year was my year four and it was a really tough year and I knew it was going to be a tough year just because I had so much going on personally um and it really it forced me to make some decisions that I about giving up control over things I didn't want to give up control over (laughs) but I knew that I had to otherwise everything would have gone up into flames and, um, and, you know, I found an assistant who's been amazing and I'm so fortunate to have her and, um, and she has, it, it's been a blessing really mm-hmm. to have somebody else to say, you know, just even to talk out administrative ideas or say like, this is what I'm envisioning for this system and this structure. Can you create that spreadsheet for me so we can start to organize it there? And I don't have to be the one to like spend my time racking my brain on technology, which is, I can do it, but it takes me a little bit of time. I'm not super fluent. Um, and, and she's a little more fluent than me. And so it, it's just been so helpful. Um, but it's hard to get to that point to realize like, oh, I have to pay somebody to do this work to help me. Yes. Um, cause I can't do it all myself anymore. Yeah. And really recognizing that that's a strength <laughs> to be able to step aside and go, okay, I have to hand this over. I have to financially plan for this and I have to have this happen so that things can improve in ways I didn't know they needed to improve whether it's our own mental health as the person running it all or just creating that time and space for all the other things that you could be focused on and it, it really is it's 
and it can take a lot of reckoning within our own minds to actually get to the point where we do that. I'm guessing you had to go through that too, where you're sort of battling with yourself going, well, but it's the money. And if I don't do that, I have this money and can do this and this. But then you realize you don't have the time or energy for that because you aren't asking for help and you aren't finding the people who can actually support you. That, that's so true. True, mm-hmm. true, true. Yep, yep. It <laughs> yeah. is because it's it hard is. when you're, you know, at, as a small practice, even when you do have other people, other contractors working for you, um, I mean, it it's not like we're a million dollar company and have all oh. this extra funds to support these things. So, you know, really figuring out how to manage that in your financial accounting and, and how to accommodate that and what adjustments need to be made and where mm-hmm. um, are really important. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's hard to be like, Oh, but I could do that myself. I could do that myself. Yeah. That money. I but, say that all the time. <laughs> Really? Like, right. No. Mm-mm. You could take another client and pay somebody for, you know, five hours worth of work or, mm-hmm. you know, for what you're doing with that one, one hour. So you're, you're. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No. And it's, it's so important. And I think that that's the, we talk a lot about all these things you can do in private practice and the people you can reach and the different ways you can work and how you can do all these things. And I think one of the biggest things is also realizing what you need to do to take care of yourself. And that could be stepping aside and paying someone to do something. It could be asking for people to volunteer and help with some marketing stuff. I mean, there's just so many ways to take care of yourself that I think, especially when first starting, we forget. We're just like, I will go all in. I am a force to be reckoned with. And we forget that that forest eventually burns out (laughs) or dies down or whatever it is. And so finding, and it comes back to sustainability. Sustainability is both making a profit and also balance in every way you can think of the word. That balance between work and actually having a life outside of work. Um, That balance between how much are you doing versus what can you delegate? I mean, there's just so many pieces to that. It's so important to take care of yourself, especially because if this is your company or this is your practice and you are suddenly out sick for two or three weeks, that has quite the impact on things. So yes, there's, it's important to really self-care I feel is a term that's thrown around so much. So I like to tell people, yes, self-care is important, but think about what that means. It doesn't mean you're constantly going to get massages all the time, although that can be nice. (laughs) Uh, Instead, it means what are you doing to sustain your own energy level, your own mental health, your own well-being, so that you can then translate that into the health of your company and what you're running. I I, I say the same thing all the time, right? It'd be nice to go get a massage. It'd be nice mm-hmm. to go get your nails done. But at the end of the day, whatever that gives you is so minimal. It's like yes. just that particular day. And then that the effects of that wear off. You know, self-care really is about the daily rituals that mm-hmm. reoxygenate and refuel you. Um and, and get you through uh, the other things that you do once in a while. Those are wonderful. Right, those are perks. Mm-hmm. Perks. Yeah. But, but the true grit of self care are those practices that we take every day. Definitely. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing about that too. No problem. <laughs> so what do you have in the works for the future? 
Well, let's see. Um, we have the conference coming up in June, so that's always exciting to be focused on for that. So short-term future is conference. Um, we're getting like some teen stuff going, we haven't gotten going. So there's a lot happening within the company. Mm -hmm. And then for me, I'm really focused on starting to um, partner with sort of larger corporations and doing some wellness program stuff, which is an exciting step oh. we're taking into the corporate world. That's um, so cool. Yeah. It's something where we're st we've been building this since this, like the past months. <laughs> so we'll see sort of where that goes. And then I'm really starting and I'm putting it out there because when you do, the intention is there. I'm, I'm working on the second book that will focus much more on private practice and the many ways that can be done as well as starting a company and what that looks like and my hope is yeah my hope is that there'll be a book similar in terms of layout and functionality to the first book where here's sort of the blueprint and ways that I have done it and seen it and heard from others but then also that I would love to have another book that has people like you who are doing this in ways that I may I might not be or they're just interesting and different having chapters on how they have done this so that it's much more storytelling slash here's what I wish I knew and here are the challenges and here are the great rewards that come from it from a lot of different perspectives. So Beautiful. my big work is the second book, um, keeping the company going, which is always fun and always interesting, especially in a place like New York City. Oh gosh, and, yeah. Yeah. And really for me personally, figuring out how to continue keeping the wonderful balance I've had for the past few months going on a sustainable level between work life and having a life where I'm not always on the phone or at the computer. And it's been happening and I'm enjoying it and I want to keep that going. That's, that's a great, a great thing to focus on and make sure that you attain because as we both know, um, it's easy to be like, oh my gosh, I've been working for 14 hours today and yes. I didn't intend on doing that, but here I am. And it's not necessarily that you're with clients, it, it, but it's these other pieces, you know, the marketing piece, it's the mm -hmm. content, it's um, coming up with ideas, even just working on your schedule when you're, when yes, you that have takes a million time. things going on, that is a big chunk of time that is taken out every month, just dedicated to organizing the schedule. So yeah, when, when you really are invested and you love what you're doing, it's easy for it to um, be consuming. So having that intentionality and in, in blocking out time in your calendar to be like, you know what, this night I'm going home early this day. I'm not seeing clients like today. I'm not seeing any clients. I'm just having Wonderful. a couple of podcast things. Yeah. And it'll be like a very chill day. I'm going to do paperwork and administrative stuff. Um, and I'll be done early. Um, you know, but making sure that you're intentionally creating that. Otherwise, you could end up in a typhoon of having your calendar overfilled, which I did in year three. Oh, yes. That was not <laughs> healthy for me at all. I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to say no to new clients. Like yes. that I had gotten to the point where I needed to do that. And that was like a learning curve of like, wait a minute, I, I got, I need a waiting list or like, <laughs> I can't, I can't see 30 people in a week. That's way too right. many for me. Not possible. Um, yes. 
So <laughs> yes, no, it is. And I think like for me today, I don't have any clients. I actually don't have to be anywhere specific except for like this, which is perfect. And so I have a section of time in the middle of the day blocked out to go to the gym. I've nice. started doing weightlifting, which is also such wonderful therapeutically speaking to let out some energy and to focus it in another way and to then come back. And I have some like different chores, like daily things that don't have to do with my company that I plan on doing. And it's just going to be a lovely day where I don't do a lot except for a few minor things for my company. Mm -hmm. And I'm taking Beautiful. a break and it's lovely. No, that's great and necessary. Mm -hmm. So if people wanted to find out more about the conference that you host, where specifically can they find that information? Website? Um, yes. So um, our website has everything from social media accounts to conference info. So the website is creativelyhealing.com. And it has um, continuing education info for therapists if you're looking for that. It has the conference, has information on the therapy we offer and little bios on all the therapists. Uh, it also has contact info. And we are also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So all of those are possible ways to follow us. We try to post interesting, fun things. <laughs> um, it's always an exciting way to put stuff out there. Um, in terms of the conference, it happens in June. Anyone's welcome to come. It's both live online and also in person. So Excellent. lots of different things. Um, and really anyone can present at it. So that's a great way to get continuing ed. You get like three times the continuing ed credits for presenting, which no one ever remembers. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the website really has everything. You can also always reach out to me on email, emery.michael at creativelyhealing.com. And again, there's a contact form on the website if that is not something <laughs> that's easy to remember. So yeah, find us in any of those ways, follow us on social media and keep apprised of what we are actually going to be doing because I never really know that far in advance what that might be, but we have a lot of great workshops and things coming up. Wonderful. And then lastly, if folks were interested in picking up a copy of your book, um, the art of business, mm -hmm. where would they find it? So I know it's on Amazon. You can also contact me directly because I do have some copies and I'm happy. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. The first time someone asked me to sign their book, that was a fun moment. I was like, oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm like, okay, sure. But I'm also happy to do that if you contact me directly for the book to actually sign it and write a little note to you and then send it off. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. Excellent. Well, I am truly grateful that you took time out of your day, your mostly day off to speak with me um, about what you're doing and the amazing business that you have started and grown and all the knowledge that you've shared with other therapists to help them along their journey. Um, yeah, so thank you so much, Emery. You're welcome. I really appreciate you asking me to come on. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.